You're listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. Jubilee Montreal is a Christian church located in downtown Montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jblmontreal.org. So we've looked at the Gospel of John, and the, the theme of the Gospel of John, if you can give it a theme, what it's all about is that if you want to know what God is like, if you want to see God, you should look at Jesus. If you want to know about God, if you want to know about life, if you want to know about the meaning of life, you should actually look at Jesus, this very specific person and the life he lived. And the writer's saying that if you do that, that it will open up a whole new world for you, a whole new life for you. And so that's what we've been trying to do, is that the, the whole, from verse 1 to verse 14, which we've looked at already, it's all online, is that John is telling the story about the world, this recreation story. He says, he goes back to the very beginning and, and tells the story about how Jesus is actually before all things and that through Jesus, life begins to make sense again and that Jesus actually reveals God to us. You realize this is a Jewish guy. Even as he wrote this, he didn't tell people that he wasn't Jewish. Okay? He was a Jewish guy, and if you know anything about Jews or any religious people, he had beliefs about God. He was a religious person. And his statement, as he's saying, which got him in trouble, a lot of trouble, is that now everything he knows about God, everything he knows about life, he's learned from this person, Jesus. He doesn't know anything about God anymore outside of Jesus. And that's what he's trying to get you to believe, to get me to believe. The other thing that, that the Gospel of John is about is it's, it's really, like I just said, it's a, it's a creation story. And if you remember in the book of Genesis, the creation story, when God created human beings, he says he made us in his image, which is just like how parents will have a, how, how two people will have a, a child, and that child will take on the image of the parents in their genetic makeup and in uh, their personality at times. They take on their image. The scriptures say that all people are made in the image of God, meaning they're made with purpose and beauty. If God is love, then people made in his image are filled with love, and they're important. So every human life is important, no matter what part of the world they're born in or, or what they, in fact, anything they've ever done or anything they believe or who they are. I mean, even the worst person in the world is actually of supreme value to God. And so we're made in his image. The way that was supposed to work in the beginning is that, you know, if you look at this, if you just look at me and say, I'm, I'm Adam, and you say, Adam, I, I reflect God's glory everywhere I go. I reflect his image. So, you know, God's not here. You kind of know what God's like because you see me. That's the way it was supposed to work. But if you read the story, we know that the world doesn't, the world is not all good. It's filled with, with, with brokenness. <clears throat> and so because of that, I want you to think that people were made to reflect God. So the way that we were, we were designed is that you would get to know about life and about God through other people, kind of just automatically. When everything's working well, that's beautiful, because then everybody's just a gift to you, and you learn more about God through the people around you. But our world is broken, and we're all broken, so it doesn't really work like that. However, I want you to think about this idea today that you've learned since you were born about God and about life, whether you ever used those words, you've learned through the people around you. And you have begun consciously or subconsciously to think about God, to have a conception of God or about a higher power or about life or about meaning, whatever you want to call it, through the actions and the beliefs of the people around you. This is especially true of parents. 
it's a very strong relationship that ends up kind of forming ideas about God. I'll just read you a bit. We were all meant to reflect God as we were made in his image. And because we're broken, we don't reflect God very well. That's the short of it. However, because that's the way the world was meant to be, when you look at a human life, you're supposed to see God. Human uh, beings bear witness to this. So when human beings are at their best, they reflect the truth, the beauty, the grace, the love, the acceptance of God. When human beings are at their worst, they don't actually reflect God at all. What they reflect is hatred, violence, judgment, selfishness. The problem is, the great tragedy is that when a human being sees those things, what they're learning subconsciously is that that's actually what the world is about, what God is about, which is he's not at all. And that's the tragedy of it. I'm going to tell you a bit of... uh, my story, I guess, for a couple minutes. Um, so when I was a kid, I grew up in a very Christian. This is an important part to get this point. That's the only reason I'm telling you my story, I guess. I, I was born into a, quite a Christian culture. My immediate family wasn't very Christian, like in actual belief and in actual practice. Or, but uh, the culture was. So it was not odd to believe in God. And I remember even at a young age struggling with this idea that God was real. Uh, in fact, um, no worries. Just, um, anybody ever taken like the Myers Briggs personality test? If you've taken it in the calling, if you've been to the calling lab, you've taken it. But like, what's your personality type? And I remember this is much later in life, not when I was a kid. But when I took that test and I got my result, and you click on like famous people that share your result, you know, I don't know how much you can trust this stuff, but it's interesting. Famous people who share your result, and the the the, the people that came up were all like the most famous atheists you would think of. I was like, oh, there we go. See, that's me. And so when I was a kid, I really struggled with this idea. And looking back, the real thing I was struggling, because, you know, my family would be invited to a church every so often. And, uh, and I would go, and I remember even as a kid having these real inner doubts. I wasn't talking with anybody about this, but, 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 but I had this kind of inner dialogue that I bet, like, if I was, like, sitting here right now, I'm like, I think it's, I think it's actually all fake. But my fake is, I don't think anybody actually believes this stuff. And as a kid, this was my thought. I thought, look at all these kids. I bet, I still, I don't remember much from my childhood, but I remember this. I bet all the parents don't believe it. But they bring all the kids here so that somebody besides them will teach them to be moral. And uh, I thought, it, in fact, that maybe was the message I was getting that it was all about morality. <clears throat> but I was like, that's what's going on. So, in, in fact, God and these words and the Bible and all these things are just a tool, like the stories are a tool to teach me to, to be good and to be moral. And I don't know if I even need that to be good and to be moral. And so, and, and I was going through this dialogue because my, a, a family was reaching out to my family, you know, so they were Christians and they, they thought it would be good for us to believe. And so <clears throat> I had these, this kind of dialogue going on. And what, so as like an example, as to, to, to explain that, I was learning from the other people around me subconsciously that I didn't think that anybody was authentic. I didn't think anybody actually believed this stuff. I thought they were all just playing this game uh, called religion. In my case, it was Christianity. And uh, yeah, they didn't actually believe it. They just wanted to use it as a tool to make me um, a certain kind of person. <clears throat> Things changed because like, I'm a kid. I don't. Have, I can't make all my own choices. So I'm kind of dragged to the place as well, uh, week week in and week out during this this short time of my childhood. And uh, something began to change, though, as I heard 
people talk from the front, you know, and teach the Bible, I began to hear this idea of grace. And it's funny because people are complicated, even though I, I had trouble believing in God. I did believe that I was, I was in this idea called sin. That made sense to me, that I was broken, that of course I wasn't perfect, that the world wasn't perfect. I wasn't sure that that mattered in this scope, like in terms of should I believe in God or not, or Jesus or all this stuff. But I thought, uh, that makes sense to me. And this idea of grace started like really, uh, I, I couldn't, like I had all these doubts, but then this idea of grace, that, that there was a God and that no, even though that I was broken, he wanted a relationship with me so badly that he took all the punishment that I was getting as a kid, you know, all the punishment on himself because he, was, he just wanted to accept me back into his family. <clears throat> See, that message was getting through in the midst of all these other things about being moral and, being, and believing a certain political agenda and, and, and not doing certain things and doing certain other things and looking like everyone else. And I thought, <clears throat> even though I still had all those questions, those actually didn't go away for a long time. I thought, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, that I get access to that grace, that I receive life, that I am that I live a life of freedom. Like I don't like Jesus. God wants to take my burdens away. He wants to take care of them. He wants to take my my past and my present and my future, all the brokenness on Him. I want that, and so I decided to follow Jesus, and I was baptized around that time. <clears throat> now, what what happened was that I was learning about God from all the people around me, from real specific situations in my life and people who 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 claim to believe in Jesus, but the their lives look differently. I learned about God through them, so I thought, based on what I see subconsciously, God probably doesn't exist. Or he's just about trying to get me to do something. So therefore, even if he does exist, I'm not interested. But as I began to contemplate and be told about the person of Jesus specifically, and about his grace and his message, even though I still had all these questions, that made sense to me. And I knew over, I didn't know, but over time, Jesus Jesus' message began to work out all those other things about religion and Christianity that I was still a part of. The Gospel of John is really, there we go, is really John's, John's story. Many people will call that, what I just said, a part of your testimony, okay? Which just means like as if we're in a courtroom and I'm being put into the box and, and uh, I'm going to tell you the truth about what I believe about this specific event or person. <clears throat> and the Gospel of John here, the, the, the first part of it, ends... I was going to do... This is going to be funny. Watch this. In just a minute. Uh, let me just read this out loud. This is, this is the last part. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace and place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. We don't have time. I was going to give you a moment to turn to somebody and study this together. And, and, when, and when you were going to do that, this music was going to play. But we're not going to do that. <laughs> um... So just the first verse, let's just jump in here for a second. When he says John, just to clarify, he's referring to a different person other than himself, okay? The guy that wrote this name is John, and he's referring to this really radical fringe figure called John the Baptist. John the Baptist called himself a prophet who, who was a bit older than Jesus, 
and he was a public figure. And what he did is he lived outside of the town. And John, I mean, John was like this, you'll see, you can see it when you read it. John was this super passionate guy. And he believed that, I mean, he is a Jew, he believed that the religion of his day was broken and corrupt. And that people actually, that God was actually not a part of it. So they said God's in the temple and everybody goes in the temple to pray. He says God, like John would believe that God has nothing to do with what you're doing because it's corrupt. <clears throat> so he said, what you should do is get out of the city. He saw like the city and all the religion that was going on is corrupt. And he said, come out to the wilderness where I am. And there's a river there. And baptism, like we still do baptism as a symbol. John believed that baptism was a symbol that cleansed the person from sin. And so what he was saying is, leave that. Come out into the wilderness and I'll baptize you and it will, it will cleanse you from... Basically what you're saying is, I'm dying to that way of life. And I want to actually live a, a passionate, honest faith before God. And so this is what John was doing, and, and he was gaining a following, like other kind of radical people that believed in his message. And, and he had a lot of people that didn't like him, of course, would follow him out onto the, uh, into the wilderness and do this. And, and John tells, John the, the, the apostle tells John the Baptist's story to, to make a point. I mean, it, it, if you keep reading John, he, re, he brings up John the Baptist a few times. It says, John testified, told a story concerning this person that you should pay attention to. He cried out. The word cried is, is actually way more intense than that. It's the sound that a raven makes, like a shriek, which I'm not going to do. Uh, but if somebody here is bold and would like to do that, I would give you the microphone. You can shriek into it. Um, but he, he shrieked, saying, and he says this. He says it later, so that's why John's quoting him. I love that there's parentheses in the Bible, too. By the way, John did this. This is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. What John was saying is, you, you get this radical guy, John, who people, I mean, some like intense people who are early adopters have, have gone out to follow John, and John is like their leader. You know, John's like any, any kind of like movement you can think of. Like, John's our guru, John's our guy, we, we follow him. We don't follow the, 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 the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, the leaders of the religion, politics of our day. We follow John. But then John started to saying this thing, and he started saying, there's someone coming. So he basically starts, he starts saying, don't pay attention to me. There's someone else coming. He, and who, he whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. Meaning, there's this guy that outranks me by a million. Okay, you're here with me right now, but all I'm doing by baptizing you and saying, be done with this way of life, is to make you wait and get ready for something else. So don't pay attention to me. So he act, what he's saying is, the one I spoke about when I said, he come, who, this is the one I spoke about. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. John's point, just to make, make sense of it, the reason that this is in here, is all this stuff that, that the writer has said about Jesus, all this like unbelievable stuff. He says, I'm just telling you about the person that that radical guy John was telling you about in the wilderness. That there's this guy coming, I'm telling you, this, this, we're talking about the same person. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. This is humility. What he's saying is, you know, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is coming. Even though he came after me, meaning like, he, he kind of like, I started it. And Jesus is kind of coming into this general movement that says that God is not found in religious structures. Even though Jesus came after me, I'm telling you that he surpassed me. He's way better than me because in fact, he was actually before me. The saying is that Jesus existed before all time, that Jesus is not just a man. The, the gospel, this is very clear from here on out. 
about the claims that he's the testimony that he's giving is he's saying, I'm telling you that you should pay attention to Jesus because Jesus has existed before all time. <clears throat> John is not apathetic. This guy. John the Baptist is not apathetic. In fact, you know how he dies. His, his, uh, let's kill his head is chopped off and put on a platter and, and, and served up to people. And although no one would like that, this is, this is how John's life should end. This is how John is. I mean, John doesn't hold back anything. And he says, so he says, this is what I told you about. The one that's coming after me, he surpassed me because he was before me. John's whole life is, has been surrendered to this mission of saying, just pay attention to this person in the face of a whole bunch of people who are apathetic and a whole bunch of people who are indifferent, the people of his day. And he's saying, leave the, leave the, the, the monotony of your religion and come and look at this person, Jesus. I'm telling you, in fact, you should pay attention because I'm telling you a human being has existed for all time. Listen to what he's saying. He goes on, he says, out of his fullness, Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what he says is, Jesus has this fullness. Okay, is the way he wants to explain it. <clears throat> he has this fullness, and, and out of Jesus' fullness, he's giving all of us, this is the thing, this is, Christ, the message of John, Jesus' message is not for people who consider themselves Christians, it's for everybody, okay? Anybody who identifies as a human being, he says, out of Jesus' fullness, we have all received, everybody is invited to receive this, and those who do receive grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. This is important for It might seem irrelevant for a moment if you're not a Jew and you don't care about the law, maybe. But he's saying something that transcends being a Jew. What he means is, first of all, although he's saying this, this person's coming and now you should pay attention to him. You know, this new person's on the scene, Jesus, you should pay attention to him. He's not saying that before Jesus, outside of Jesus, that there's no other good that there's no other, this idea of this word grace. We've all received grace, so we've all received, there's different ways, this is a, a huge word, but this word means acceptance by God. It's God has grace, meaning he has this, this insatiable desire to, uh, to direct himself toward you. You know, like, he, nothing can overcome his desire to be directed at you, to look you in the eye, to be with you. And so he says, this, so the reason grace is important is it's his grace that conquers our sin. It's his grace that, that wipes it away. It's his grace and his, his love. These ideas get mixed, like love, grace, mercy. It's this grace that ends up uh, in the love that's behind it, that drives God to even sacrifice himself so that he can take what is really, I mean, a specific person's sin on himself so that he can have relationship with you. It's his grace that drives. This is what God is like. You know, we all have the images of God. I said in the beginning, we've all have an image of God, but John's trying to take us back to the true image. Okay. Outside of what everyone else has taught you through their words and their actions, many of them might be good. Beyond all that, he's saying, I want to reveal to you a clear image of God that you can always look to and say, that's what God is like. That is what life is about. No matter where I come from or what I've heard. So we've all received grace in place of grace already given. So the way he explains it is, not everything is bad. Not everything outside of Jesus is bad. And I'm not saying this. <clears throat> Often we think of Christianity like this. What I'm saying to you today is true. 
And I think that anything that's, that's outside of what I'm saying is not true. So anything else anybody believes, religious beliefs, philosophies, ways of life, they're all wrong. And Christianity is correct. It's not actually what he's saying. There are things that are wrong and there are things that are right, by the way. That does exist. What he's saying is that there's, we've all, God has been active since the beginning of your life and he's been giving you grace. When you were created and you were born into a family, however, however loving or however not loving, there was a certain amount of grace there that gave you life in the first place. God has revealed himself, this, the Bible says, through nature, that when you look at nature, when you care for, for, the, for, the, for the world, you actually, it says it reveals God. It's funny, like a city doesn't reveal God. People do. But the created world, all of it, reveals God to us. He says that's actually grace because God doesn't have to do any of that. But he says that he's revealing himself to us through these things so that we can have relationship with him, which is important because we only know what life is about. We only know what our lives are about through relationship with God. So he says what Jesus has given us is grace on top of grace. So it makes sense. His example makes sense. He says, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You can imagine why he's saying this because John's getting in all kinds of trouble for saying this stuff. I can say it now and we're pretty apathetic about it and indifferent because what does it mean and why does it matter? When John's saying this, he's challenging everybody's basic beliefs around him. saying Because they're saying, why do I need Jesus? Like Jesus is, no, God has already revealed himself to us. You're lying. God has given us the Bible, the law, and it's through the law and through following the law that I can have a relationship with God. Doing right, then I can have a relationship with God. That's all I need. That's complete. That's a gift from God. And he says, he doesn't say the law is bad. He doesn't, this is my example. He doesn't say it's bad. Well, that's wrong. The law was wrong and Jesus is right. What he says is the law was a type of grace for the law was given through Moses. So he says, Moses is good. No problem with Moses. This point, because to, to the people he's talking to, Moses is like their hero, okay? Moses is good. The law came through Moses as a gift of grace. Because why? Because the law reveals something of God to us. The law is like, the world is broken, but if I was to say, I'm going to draw up a little manual that says, this is what, if everyone were to do all these things, which you can't, but if you were to do all these things perfectly, we would live in harmony with one another. We would live in a world of goodness and peace and love. And so this is like, I'm showing you what I created the world to be like through the law and through what your, your own life was made to look like automatically, not by trying to follow it, by automatically coming out of who you are, your identity. He says, that law was given through Moses. That's good. Look at these words. The law was given. So it's like God had the law and he gave it to Moses. And he said, Moses, give this to everybody else. The law was given through Moses. That's a, that's a certain amount of grace. But then he says, grace itself and truth itself came through Jesus. So he's saying, in the world, you can experience a certain amount of grace. Everybody. You don't have to be a Christian. You can experience a certain amount of grace in the world. You wake up, and you breathe in. I didn't cough. That's good. You breathe in uh, oxygen. You say, this is a gift from God. My life is a gift from God. And then, and then the people around me are a gift from God. And the food I have to eat is, is it's all grace. It's all good. That's a certain amount of grace. And he says, into the world was coming grace itself a limitless supply of grace, the place where grace comes from. And truth, the word truth here means truth. I'm not sure really how to say it. But a deeper meaning of this, instead of just like true or false, is reality. 
What he's saying is reality itself, if this is maybe a strange idea for you, but reality itself, the source of reality itself came into the world. Grace itself, not somebody that was graceful, not somebody that told you about grace, the source of grace. This is what John's saying is, guys, listen to me. I know that certain things are working in your life probably, but what if I told you this? This is what he's saying. Not everything you believe is wrong. In fact, all the things you believe that are true, taught in the university, that you hear sometimes on the news, all these things that you believe that are true, any truth comes from God. But I can introduce you to truth itself, the source of all things that are true. So why would you not want that? That's what he's saying. Good, you've got Moses, you've got your religion. You can say this about any religion, by the way. This is why I'm not saying is messy for some people, but it's not drop your old religion and join a new religion. It's You've got your religion, which is probably just a way for you to make sense of the world, sense of morality, and within that, there's probably certain things that are not true and true. Okay? <clears throat> Whatever is true in there, what if I told you that there's a source of that truth? Any love that you feel there, what if I told you that's a shadow? It's not actually true, as in reality. It's just a shadow that human beings have created. What if I told you that there was reality itself, that there was the thing that cast the shadow of truth and grace, that it actually exists as a person and it was coming into the world. That's, and you believe it or not, I mean, this is what John is saying. For the law was given through Moses, a certain amount of grace. Grace itself and truth itself came through this person, Jesus. The other thing to notice here, and it was just important for what's about to come, is this idea that John thinks that Jesus, he sees Jesus the way he wants to explain him as being filled, being full of something, okay? <clears throat> and the people that are receiving that are then kind of automatically not. What he's saying between the lines is Jesus is filled with this thing, and everybody else who's receiving this thing is empty. So John's conclusion is that human beings are are by and large, empty. They live empty lives. They have a certain amount of grace, a certain amount of joy, a certain amount of love, a certain amount of understanding, which is all just grace, but they're more or less empty. <clears throat> but Jesus, this person who's come, he says, which again, when John is saying it, he's shrieking. He's saying, like, it's, it, imagine this, because for some of you it might be true. Imagine that you knew something that would save someone's life, that would change their life for the better. You have no, like, hang-ups about it. You know it's already the case, and then there's the person. And you're like, listen to me. I met somebody. I know them, and I'm telling you that everything else you're looking for is within this person. Look into them. Stop, and so this is from the beginning, stop judging what God is like by what you've experienced. Christianity is a terrible witness of Jesus, to be honest with you. And not like I am a good one, but in general, what you think of as Christianity and the history of Christianity is not Christianity. It's not this. It's a bunch of people that took these ideas and built a system through a system and did many terrible things. And at the same time, did many amazing things that sometimes you don't hear about as much. Either way, you shouldn't be learning about God just through Christianity. You should be learning about God through the person of Jesus. This is what John's saying. In fact, to do the opposite is to go right back to where this radical guy, John the Baptist, finds himself, which is with everybody else having learned what God is like just through this broken system. 
So he says, Jesus is filled and we're empty. And then this is the conclusion. And this is kind of the conclusion of the series and the conclusion. And this is really, I think, maybe one of the main verses in this whole book. All the chapters boil down to this idea. No one, John says, has ever seen God. He means physically seen God. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is, this is John's great desire. Imagine, and realize what it's not saying? John's great desire. So if you're not, you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, like you wouldn't call yourself a Christian this is what I would love for you to consider is that not everything else you know about Christianity, not other people you know and what they've said, but consider this. I mean, consider it in and of itself. What it doesn't say is I want you to, I want you to just believe certain things or I want you to just, it, these things are all partly true. Okay. But it's not this, the essence of it. I want you to just believe certain things. I want you to do certain things and I want you to not do certain things. This is kind of a shadow of what I'm talking about. What he says is, it's about knowing somebody. This verse is, is going to show us what, where the emptiness is. So it's, 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 this is why John the Baptist is so passionate. This is why John's writing this whole thing, is to, te- is to tell us that we're missing something and that we can have it again. And the only way we can have it again is through this person, Jesus. He says, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son we talked about that last week, but he, he, Jesus is, refers to himself as the son of God. And what, what it actually means in the Greek is the unique son, the, the only one that is like him. This is, of course, the place where people disagree, but this is the part that you should wrestle with. This is all he's saying is that Jesus is special and you should pay attention to him. It's like John the Baptist that says, I'm telling you that he's the one that was, came after me, surpassed me because he was before me. This is what he's saying about everything else. Not that everything else in the world is wrong, but that Jesus surpasses all of it. If you, if you like peace, then you should care about Jesus because Jesus is peace itself, the source of peace. He's saying that Jesus created peace or that peace was created because he is peace. Does this make sense? He's saying if you care about anything good, then stop just caring about the shadow and stop trying to find it in other things and come back to the source, not to a religion, but to a person who is revealed, who exhibits all of it. No one's ever seen God, but the one and only son, the unique one, the only one who could, who is himself God. This is the radical part of the gospel of John. When he, this is why John wants to write it, I think, too, is because he feels like people are soft. You know, John's a passionate guy. He's the guy that's always getting in trouble that has no filter. And he's like, you guys are timid. Jesus isn't just like, we saw him, we know what he did, we heard what he said. He is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. This is a terrible translation, I think, because this is, when you start looking into what it means, it's like the whole point of the passage. The word closest relationship is a Greek word that literally, we don't really use this word anymore, but it means in the bosom of in this in this day, the way they would use this word is that you know in in the Middle East and still to this day, but but it's a bit different then. They would wear always long garments, right? Men too. <clears throat> and the way that that a man would wear it is that as they sat like a part of this, I don't know the, the official words, but a, a part of the the garment would fold on the chest. Okay, it was long. And that part of the chest, which in in their day was associated with intimacy. 
with you can't be closer to a person than being here. You know what I'm saying? Kind of still like that. You know, it's like when when a mother is with a child, or when a person who's short. I have I know this. Who's short gives a tall person a hug. Um, but anyway, he's saying that place. This is actually what the word means. It doesn't mean in closest relationship with. It means bosom. God who is in the bosom of the Father. What it means to the hearer is Jesus lives in the heart of God himself. Jesus, in, if you want to look at it as like an image, this person, Jesus, you think like you know things about God, you can talk about it. Jesus is God. This is what's weird. He is God and he lives in this place. It's like as if God's sitting on his throne if he was a person. The image he's trying, all this stuff's hard to convey, you know, which it should be. If it was simple, it'd probably be wrong. God the Father, is who we think of as God, is sitting on the throne and he says, Jesus lives like on the Father's lap with his face against his chest. So why does that matter? He's saying, look, you can, you can spend your whole life looking for meaning, looking for God. No one's ever seen him. The only one that knows anything this is, why, this is why John the Baptist is around. He's throwing out religion, right? He's saying, no one's ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God, and who lives in the heart, against the heart of God, who hears everything and knows everything. He's made him known to us. You see what he's saying? He's saying, guys, I don't care. Like, you have good ideas. That's great. There's probably truth and beauty in many things. That's great. But if you care about truth and beauty, then you should look into Jesus. Because if you want to know what God is like, and you should know, you know, you should want to know what God is like if there is a God, because if there is a God, then he made you. And if he made you, then knowing him gives you access to, to, the, to life itself, to what your life is about. I know you may have heard some of this, like Christianity and religion stuff might sound like judgment usually. This is the message. No one's ever seen God. But there's somebody who has. He is God. And he lives in the bosom of the Father. He lives against his chest, in his heart. And he has made him known. So going back to the beginning, when I was growing up and I was like, I've never seen God. I'm not using these words at the time, right? But I've never seen God. But according to what I see, there is no God. According to what I see in the world, there is no God. Why? Because the world was made, people were made to reflect the image of God and what people are reflecting to me and what I'm reflecting to other people is either God is not great or he's not real. What got through to me was this person of Jesus who had this life that was so compelling, so strange, and so, and so loving that I'm like, I want, okay, I want to look into that. And the message of grace that, that this God wanted that same thing for me. How Jesus was living against the heart of God was actually the way that all human beings were made to live. This is why he says, in his, why does Jesus have fullness? What does that mean? In his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What's he full of? That's kind of funny. What's he full of? He's full of the Father. He's full of life itself. He's full of God, if you could say that. He's full of grace. He is grace because he lives in grace, the heart of God itself. And so what are we receiving is we're receiving life directly from God himself. That's his thing. That's what Christianity is about. Oh, you want to follow Jesus? I don't know what else you've heard, but it's about receiving the life, the grace, the love of God straight from the source for the rest of your life. For, in fact, he says, for all time. I know that some of you might already believe this. Most of you believe this already. Or maybe you want to put it in those words, but you believe what it says. But I want you to also think about how you talk to other people about this then. 
And uh, I think about how John talks about it. I wish that John was here because I think that most of us would not want to be near him. He probably didn't smell good because he lived in the wilderness. He ate strange things. And he was just kind of, he appeared crazy to many people because he had seen something that no one else at that time had noticed. So he sounded crazy. And you see, there's no, uh, John is so passionate. There is no apathy or indifference because he's not, he doesn't have ideas that he's trying to put onto other people, okay? Which gets awkward. And he doesn't have a moral system that he believes in that he's trying to push on other people, which gets awkward. Or he doesn't have like a, a political agenda that he's trying to push onto other people, and that gets awkward. What he's saying is, I met truth. I met grace. I met God himself in sandals walking up here. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you it's true and you should pay attention to it because it's for you too. If you thought like that, I think it would really change what church culture calls evangelism. Not that you have to shriek, but that, that in and of who you are, in your own personality, in your own experience, you, you experience it, number one, and number two, you just talk about that. In your own words, of course, because here's the thing. That's why it's good news. What the good news is, we talk about the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that there is a God who has existed for all time, who made me, who made you, because he loves us. I mean, it's like an artist that said, I, so, I have this design in my mind, and I so badly want to express it. And once I express it, I love it, because it perfectly reflects what was in my mind. That image becomes corrupted. Human beings are corrupted because of mistrust, because of independence from each other and from God. The Bible calls it sin, but it's a broken state that can't be fixed by human beings. It can't be fixed by morality or belief systems or anything. God himself desired so badly to repair that image and to have relationship with what he created again, and not only just to do it, but so that what he created could be itself again could thrive in how he made it to be again, in wholeness and life. And so what he did is, instead of first, he's saying, my world is so broken, so all these religious things, ideas, the law, whatever you've experienced maybe that is like that for you, is an expression of the grace and truth of God. But he says it's not enough, because they were made, you were made, I was made to live in this place in closest relationship with the Father. Because in that place... I never experience anything other than love. And I never experience brokenness. I experience life. I experience wholeness. And I don't even have to try. And I experience intimacy with God beyond anything. So I'm never scared. I'm never nervous. And I'm never insecure in that place. Jesus is saying, I came from that place. And I want to give you the grace and the love that I've had through your life that will transform you and change you. And for all time, you will live in that place with the Father, which is not boring. It's life itself. You know, when the scriptures talk about where's this world going and what's the future, it says at some point, God's going to heal all things. He's doing this now, and at some point, he will heal all things, and we will live in a city together, the city of God. And in that place, God will dwell with his people. You will know him. It's not boring. It's not, a, it's not boring, at least the picture is. This is boring compared to that. 
And not just like, you're telling me, you would never be bored because it's the, you know, it's like God wants everyone to suck the marrow out of life, but there's not really enough to go around. And so he's saying, I'm going to give it to you. The only catch is he's saying, you can go over here on the side and you can look for it in other things and you will get tastes of it, but it won't last for eternity. If you come to me, you know, if you come to life and grace itself and you receive that in Jesus, that will last forever. What John is saying is that, look, Jesus, historical figure that lived, did all the amazing things. He lived an extremely compelling life. The, the words he taught, the, the way he healed, the way he spoke truth to power, the way he defended the weak, and the way he, he, he stumped experts without any training. That man that lived, John's saying, I want to tell you about where he comes from. This is the point of the Gospel of John, that he has a source. It's not just that life. The source of every move Jesus made, every word he taught, every way he healed, the way he walked upon the earth was rooted in, his, in the fullness that he had from the place that he lived. You can see this. Jesus lived in the... Jesus is an example to us of what it's like for a human being to be in right relationship with God and the way there. The only way there is to come through Jesus and to accept what he's done for you personally again and again and again, including today. Accept what he's done for me personally as he took all of my emptiness and he gave me his fullness and I said, I surrender everything to you. We sing about this. I surrender everything to you because in exchange I get life itself. I can go looking elsewhere but in the person of Jesus I get the source of life itself and I'd love to tell other people about that too because it's going to make them more of who they were actually made to be. So we become people that begin to reflect, again, like at the beginning. We still all reflect what God is like, like people did to me. We become people that begin to reflect the heart of God more and more and more as we receive Jesus, who is truth and grace itself. And is that, we talk about transformation, this is what it means. As you come to accept what Jesus has done for you and, and give up your life, you receive life itself. And that begins to change you. So I don't need to try to be moral. And when I do, it doesn't work out that well or it lasts a very short time. I don't need to try. What I need to do is surrender and release and accept what Jesus has done for me. And then I begin to change. And then that begins to change other people. And when you live like that, when you live in truth and grace, you become an extremely loving person. Who's not easily offended because you know who you are, that you're broken apart from God. You're just empty. But with God, you've been given this gift of grace and life with God that surpasses all understanding. And what it does is it drives a person to people of great need. It drives a person to go to people who don't know God but want to and to help them. And it drives a person to go to the poor, to go to the broken, to go to those that are ostracized and kicked out and say, I know how you feel because that's who I am on the inside. The way you look, the way your life looks in poverty is the way that my life looks inside without God empty. And so I want to pour out whatever I can to you so that you can experience a little bit more of the grace and truth and life that you were made to. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast. For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at www.jvlmontreal.org.